the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history. I can hear you! I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin of The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here at Pro-America Report. Great to be with you tonight. We've got another great show as we head into the weekend. And there's a million, million, seems like a million things going on in uh, this nation. Uh, Most of them good. Most of them good. I don't know if you've... um, if you follow the XFL, I didn't follow it much, but I'm going to try to catch a game, watch a game this weekend on TV. And, um, well, just a lot happening. It's uh, February. Again, it's Ed Martin. I'm live right now from uh, rec- the show is in the swamp, but not of the swamp. I'm out in Washington, D.C. Uh, from an undisclosed location. Great to be with you. And it's uh, we got a lot tonight. I've got Dr. Paul Kengor on in a few minutes. Dr. Kengor, of course, is uh, was guest last week, I think it was. Extraordinary professor at Grove City College. Pardon me, and he'll be with us. Uh, he'll break down what's going on, and uh, he's an excellent, excellent person. His writings are phenomenal, uh, both at the um, essay level and also his many books. And then, uh, let me see here. I'm going to tell you about my trip uh, today with my sons, my two sons. We went over to the White House, and uh, we saw Marine One. Well, we saw a helicopter land. That's a big old helicopter. And then we saw President of the United States get on the helicopter, which makes it Marine One. And it takes off. And I'll tell you about that. It was very, very cool. Nice for my sons. Kind of good father-son's bonding. Uh, in a couple days, it's my son's younger son's birthday. So it was kind of a cool celebration. Uh, so I'll tell you about that because... Actually, I want to explain to you what I saw there when the president came out and spoke to the press gaggle and how what the president is doing with the media and social media and Twitter and how his responsiveness to we the people through social media is extraordinary and how what he's done to make clear the fake news has changed how we relate to media. So it's extraordinary. So we'll talk about that. I think that's in the last segment. I'm looking for my notes here. Uh, yeah, it's in the last segment. So uh, we will uh, get to that. And um, I'll have a little bit more on um, on the president, uh, some of the presidents, uh, what's uh, been going on in Washington. So, uh, I, oh, yeah, that's it. Here's my notes. I apologize. Uh, big news, actually, that very few people noticed. The president moved out of, of the White House, the head of the presidential personnel office, which is probably the most important job in government that you don't know about. It's the person that the funnel 
the choke point for people getting jobs in the administration. And the president just removed the guy that was there and put in place his own uh, sort of uh, longtime aide. So we'll talk about that in one of the segments coming up. All right, before we get to that, what you need to know tonight. And there are many things. I mean, there's lots of things going on. But I think the number one uh, thing I would tell you is the news that broke earlier today that Attorney General Barr, the Attorney General of the United States, has assigned the U.S. attorney from my old hometown, St. Louis. Jeff Jensen is his name. He's a very good guy. He went to law school with me. I was in law school with him. He was, at the time, an FBI agent going to law school at night. I remember getting to know him, a great guy. Um, and then he went, became a lawyer, and he was in private practice for a while, assistant United States attorney, currently the United States attorney. He's been assigned to review the Flynn matter, the Flynn case. And what I want to say about that is this. A lot of people are frustrated today. What what you need to know today is that today feels like a day of frustration on one level, but I want to encourage you to remember, just remember Braveheart, okay? So what's the the, um, frustration? Well, the frustration is that today the news broke that McCabe is not going to be charged. So Andrew McCabe, who by all accounts lied or misled or whatever, I think he's lied. He lied to his, in the interviews that he was being investigated, he lied over and over again. And it really makes people like me and should make you mad that he gets to lie. Hillary gets to destroy emails and Clapper gets to do things. Brennan gets to do things. All these people get to do things. And the only people that are in uh, hot water are Mike Flynn and Roger Stone. And of course, the pre- half the president's uh, staff in the White House had to lawyer up and get lawyers to survive the gauntlet of the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax and all the rest, right? So what you need to know today is it feels desperately disappointing that A.G. Barr announced, the Department of Justice announced, that they're not going to pursue the investigation that was open as McCabe was leaving his job. Now, what did I say about Braveheart? Remember the scene in Braveheart where the Mel Gibson character is saying, hold, 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 and he's saying, just don't, don't misunderstand the timing, and then they all, they let loose, and they charge, and they, and they take everybody, they pull up the uh, stakes, and they win that battle, Right. Here's why I tell you that. The same day that we hear that news on McCabe, this news that I just started to tell you is that uh, the the Attorney General Barr has said we need someone else to take a look at exactly what went on in the Flynn investigation. That's this Jeff Jensen. And we still have the Durham investigation out there. And we still, the full interview that Attorney General Barr did yesterday, which the media covered it, his comments about the president's Twitter feed, if you listen to the whole interview, it's about 15 minutes long, the part that was released, what you hear is a serious guy. Bill Barr is a serious man. He's got serious priorities, he knows what he's doing, and he's moving ahead. And what you need to know right now is that this president has shown... An unbelievable sense of timing, even under attack, even when it feels like, you know, it's not going right. And people are frustrated. I know, like, Ann Coulter will tweet that we don't have enough wall, and some of our folk friends will say we're not, you know, there's not enough uh, people being arrested and all that stuff. I get it. I feel the same frustration. But I have to say, in the modern environment we're in now, where the media, the deep state, the establishment have been so clearly shown to be against the president... We have to sort of trust the timing, trust the leader. If you, if you picture this, this president uh, like the Braveheart character, I mean, we're, we're all in this country, we the people, 
are in this incredible battle to control what's happening. We're in a battle against the media. We're in a battle against the government. We're in a battle against the, the, uh, the big corporation, battle against China. If you haven't seen the Breitbart.com article by my friend Rebecca Mansour about the uh, fact that, that the China uh, the coronavirus has smoked out, the fact that we're reliant for like uh, about a half of the main drugs that we use for public safety are made or the component parts are made in China. So we're battling against all these forces and we have this wild character of a general, the Braveheart man, Braveheart Trump, and he's signaling to us, hold, hold, hold. And the fact is, I do trust Bill Barr. I don't know him. I've never met him, but I have a good, good friend of mine who knows him very well. And he trusts him. I mean, he really trusts him. And I just think you have to say to yourself, you cannot drain the swamp. You know, even, you know, as um, Steve Bannon said a couple years ago, this is not a one-term, two-term thing. This is a 10-year, 15-year fight. And it's not going to be one right now. And so what we have is, I, I just think that, you know, McCabe, remember, my prediction on McCabe is McCabe's not through. I mean, he's not clear. McCabe got cleared of this investigation on his conduct on sort of the way out. He's not clear to the real misconduct. I hate to say it, but the, 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 the kind of the way they were this, this investigation that they just said, well, we're not going to proceed. That was an investigation of him leaving, sort of covering his own tail and worried about his own career. That was not an investigation of his misconduct in the investigations and in the job. It was kind of a process investigation of, you know, were you lying on the way out? I think he was. But I think they were saying, you know, that's not going to be the one we try to get you on because you can say you were protecting yourself or you were doing something else. We're, we're still working on this and we're still working. What is reported and what I'm told, I, one thing is reported. I'll tell you what's reported. I'll tell you what I'm told. What's reported is that Jeff Jensen, the U.S. attorney from uh, Eastern District of Missouri, St. Louis, my, my old uh, stomping grounds, is, has been interviewing line prosecutors and FBI agents about what happened trying to get to the bottom of what happened in the Flynn investigation. So that's been going on since January. That's not new. It's not even just, it wasn't announced today. It was reported today. What I'm told is that the Durham investigation similarly has been heavily, uh, has been going on and doing heavy work and in the middle of a bunch of stuff. So what you need to know now is it may feel like a disappointment this week that, you know, McCabe gets off and there's Comey on TV again and you're wondering and there, you just see Flynn twisting and Stone twisting and you say, what's the deal? But I'm just warning you, you got you, you to gotta trust the, this process. Trust, I hate to say, sound like one of these basketball coaches, but trust the process. Trust what this president's doing, the direction. And in a couple minutes, I got to talk to Paul Kengor, Dr. Paul Kengor first. But after that, I, I will lay out for you how the president, he's moving his own people in. And maybe more than anything, the reason this president deserves and needs a second term is to keep this going. Because I'll tell you this, the one candidate for the Democrats that is more compromised uh, regarding China than anybody is Bloomberg. Bloomberg is a China guy. He's made his money in China. He's made his money with companies that are doing business in China. I mean, he, if he goes, he's praised China. If he wins, China wants Bloomberg. But I, at this point, that's not the only reason. The swamp wants Trump out. The, Trump, the, the swamp wants Trump out, and he's got to, we've got to trust the process, trust the timing, and trust Bill Barr, 
and uh, and I think we'll get there. I think you'll see. There's no benefit now in grousing publicly. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't do any good. It may feel make you feel good. It may make some of your friends rush to you on Twitter and say you're a genius. I'm not sure it serves what you need. What you need to know right now is patience. Patience. We're winning. But you don't win. You don't run the table. You kind of work the table. I'm really mix, mixing my metaphors right now. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and talk with Dr. Paul Kengor. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here at Pro-America Report. You know, I recently was talking with uh, Dr. Paul Kanger, who's over at Grove City College, teaching the youth, and he's a prolific author. You'll see his columns all over the place, Kanger, K-E-N-G-O-R, uh, but also his books. Uh, and I was struck... Uh, I was re- and, 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 and Paul was joined by Dr. Paul Kanger and he'll, he'll smile when I tell him. But I was reading Stan Evans, the late Stan Evans book on uh, Joe McCarthy about six months ago in the midst of the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, the Mueller report, maybe longer, maybe eight months ago. And in searching to see other books, I came upon an essay that Paul Kanger wrote about. I don't know, five years ago, 2015, I think it's 2015. Uh, you'll tell me, Paul, but it says Joe, Mac- the title was Joe McCarthy, despicable or prophetic. And it goes as analysis. Here's what I want. I asked him to come back on. I want to ask you, you, you've, you've, you've watched the, you have a book called dupes. I think it is. That's about, uh, journalists who have, uh, been useful idiots for the communists. I think that's the one on that. But, um, and, and I wanted to ask you, Paul, when you, um, People throw around uh, Adam Schiff. He went so over the top. He really was lying all the time. It was terrible. And they often say it's if you're if you like Trump and you support him, you say Schiff is like McCarthy. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. But I just wonder what you think of what what's gone on in the impeachment and and in the sort of over the top behavior by uh, House or Senate members. Well, it's interesting. I guess to apply this uh, this sort of Cold War language, uh, President Trump, I think he said it, I know that others said it, compared it to a to a show trial right from from the soviet right. days and 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 you know a show trial is indeed what you know, from from the cold war communists in particular um castro's cuba perfected it and you know then that, that sounds over the top and yeah and i know it obviously it's exaggerated right we didn't have nkvd or kgb agents dra- you know, dragging people into the senate and so forth and hauling people off to the gulag but 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 where, but where the analogy does does fit in and in a narrow, indeed, but 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 an important way, is that is that you you have the sense going in that the verdict was predetermined, right? And 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 that's right. really what a show trial is. So you 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 put on this quote unquote trial. To, to make it look like justice is going to be done, there's going to be a rigorous pursuit of the truth. But then you bring in, you, you, you stack the witnesses. If you bring in somebody from the other side, and in that case it was with Jonathan Turley, I think, right? It, it, it's kind mm-hmm. of a, a, a mild dissent, you know, mild disagreement, and you bring in the people on your side, it's like three to one or three out of four, and they're engaging in all kinds of, you know, over-the-top language. And, of course, this shows Trump demanded that the that the, that the aid be withheld, and, and, and you know, just, so the, in 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 that sense, yeah, I, I think um, I think that language applies. Uh, I, I don't McCarthy McCarthyism. Alan Dershowitz in the past he, he he's used the word McCarthyism quite a bit. 
Um, you know, he mm-hmm. accused, in fact, ironically, Ed, you're like me, you're old enough to remember this. In the 1990s, Alan Dershowitz wrote a book, or at least an article, or at least used a phrase called sexual McCarthyism, which, where he right. was, he was right. accusing Republicans of doing that to Bill Clinton. Right. Right. Um, yep. but, but but McCarthyism, rightly or wrongly, is, is a term that's used for something that's perceived well, but, to be but, a but, witch but, hunt. But, but here's right? yeah. But here's but here's here's how I distinguish it. When you read up on McCarthy, McCarthy actually he he was and I hate to say this too much, but I, it, he was directionally correct. There was a problem of communism, you know, right. in, in, right. infiltrating our government. If you and so when you say it, it, what in this case, he was correct. I mean, he, he got over the top a few times. He, he may the media may have manipulated him, too. But he but he was correct. I, I would say this. Where's the McCarthyism? If that's a, I want McCarthyism on the deep state because there's something wrong. I want McCarthyism on the infiltration by the Chinese. The, the, the difference here is that. The shift when you say McCarthyism, it actually implies that there was something there. You just went too far in, in Russia, Russia, Russia. There was literally they got to the it, it was Geraldo Rivera's uh, Al Capone vault. You got to the end of it. There was nothing right. there. Same uh, thing with impeachment. Yeah. And, and and my point is, you know, you, you what's the who in history? We're talking with Dr. Paul Kanger, who teaches lots of subject politics, ethics, all kinds of things at Grove City College. Who in history actually was like Schiff? Were there unsavory characters who use the power of the of the Congress to to destroy people? Because McCarthy, he actually was you know more than half true uh, what he saw, well, not what happened, but what he saw. Yeah, and uh, by the way, the the best book on this is by M. Stanton Evans, and it's called Blacklisted yeah. by History. Blacklisted. Yeah, that's History. the one. I, that's the one I was. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one I was reading. It is very good. It's really good. It's, it's even handed. He's not. He's not an apologist for everything that McCarthy did. But when you're done, you say Stan Evans just proved. He didn't say argue. He proved that McCarthy was right, and the characterization on, on a lot of it, not on everything he did, but right, on, right. on a lot of what he saw, and that the media and everybody else rewrote history to make him look like a, a total liar and a lunatic when he wasn't. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, well, and and the left would have found it's Joe McCarthy in any event. And, and in fact, it, it, people won't know this name, but the first Joe McCarthy for the left was, was the Attorney General Alexander Mitchell Palmer under, of all people, Woodrow Wilson. And you know, they were accusing him of a witch hunt in, in, in 1918, 1919, 1920, when, when he was looking at people like Emma Goldman and some of the other anarchists that Woodrow Wilson, of all people, had deported. So the, the, the left absolutely hates it when, when you get somebody who's looking into communism. And, and the, liberals will say all the time, well, I'm not pro-communist. Not, okay, maybe they aren't, but, but what um, Robert Conquest, Richard Pipes, and others have said is true. They are anti, anti-communist. The anti-communists are their villains. That's who they really mm. oppose. And, and, and Ed, this happens to me all the time. All the time. I'll write a piece on Pete Buttigieg's father, Joseph Buttigieg, who was a, you know, a Gramscian Marxist or something. And, and, and I'll get emails from liberals angry at me for pointing these things out. 
and I'll say, why aren't you bothered by what they're doing, right? I'll write a piece on, on Bernie, right? I wrote a piece called Bernie Bolshevik Party Boy <laughs> for American Spectator, mm-hmm, right. Bernie stripped of the Soviet Union in the 1980s, or on Bernie as an ex-Trotskyist and the things he says about Cuba. And, and Ed, they get angry at me. And, and I say, why right. doesn't it bother you that your guy <laughs> supported Trotsky in permanent revolution? Could you please one time criticize somebody for extremes on your side? But this, this is right. what they do. If, if Joe McCarthy actually produced you know, 57 known spies in the State Department, I'm telling you, I'm not making this up, liberals would be angrier at McCarthy than they would at the 57 right. spies. Uh, to, 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 yeah. to this day, um, you know, they, they hate Whitaker Chambers more than Alger Hiss, right? Alger right. Hiss was the spy. Chambers exposed them. It's, it, it's almost like a pathological, ideological thing that they have going there. You need almost like a psychological explanation to try to understand it. Right. Hey, uh, Paul Kanger, I just have a minute left. I got to ask you one question, and I'm totally serious. You've studied all these things. You've studied the mindset of communism, not just Soviet communism, but communism. Is there any doubt in your mind that when the history is written, if we ever know, that there will be uh, there will be uncovered hundreds, thousands, perhaps of Chinese, of communist agents of the Chinese communist government that have infiltrated our uh, government, our institutions at all levels. Is there any doubt in your mind? Well, 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 China's much harder, but 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 certainly in the broader sweep of communist infiltration in American history, going back to the 20s, 1930s, especially the Roosevelt administration, uh, I, I mean, definitely a, a very very large number, probably in the hundreds. But um, you know, with with uh, with China, I, I mean, China today it's it, it, it's different, right? It, it's it's a threat, and may, maybe maybe this is what you're getting at. The threat today with China is here yet again. People who don't don't recognize that China is a threat, and you know that right. that's that's often the problem is a blindness among the people who um, shouldn't be blind and ought to know better. Yeah, I, I guess I, I got to we'll have to do it another time because I, I, I just think that the the size and scope of China, it, it seems unlikely to me that they would ever that they wouldn't go, um, you know, more systematically uh, to do infiltration. But I want to leave it there. Paul Kanger, Dr. Paul Kanger. And uh, I will put up on uh, social media and on my website. Uh, one of his books is uh, one of the two books that refer to dupes in the and one one on the uh, journalism and one on how progressives are, 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 are used uh, by the communists. So, I got to run. Uh, Paul Kenger, thanks very much, Dr. Paul Kenger. We'll take a quick break. We'll right, be right back. It's Ed Martin on the Pro, Pro America Report. Be right back. The Pro America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Good to be with you. And um, I love Paul Kenger. This is a second interview I've done with Dr. Paul Kenger of Grove City College in the last uh, probably uh, week or so. So you want to check out um, his. Um, Check out our website, theanswersandiego.com, or, or go to uh, the podcast at wherever you get podcasts, um, iTunes, Google Play, and track that down. Ken Gore's really good, strong, uh, great to hear from him. And in a minute, I'll fill you in on my idea, my sense, which I think is important about what this president has done to communications uh, in our 
uh, country in terms of our government as well as in terms of the media uh, is really worth noting. Uh, but let me uh, pick up something that I got an email from one of our listeners after a, a, a segment last week. A gentleman, uh, excuse me, a woman named Tori. Uh, Tori said to me, I can't believe the president ended up three years into his presidency without getting his people. I'm trying to read this um, email that I printed out. It's uh, poorly printed out on my printer. Um, and Tory's complaint, which I hear all the time, by the way, I hear all the time from people that this president is three years in and he's still getting people out of the government uh, that are not with him. And so he, let me let me broadly talk about two categories. Uh, and there was a there was a great um, Phyllis Schlafly report essay written in 1980 uh, when Reagan won for president. Phyllis wrote a special column, a special edition of the Phyllis Schlafly report, the front page article on uh, "To the Victor Go the Spoils," where she laid out the jobs, the key jobs that the new president could replace. Uh, the the new jobs that could be the people could be replaced immediately and make a huge difference. And excuse me, she listed them. And so there's two categories. One, when President Trump won, he did try to put in some of his people, some people that were loyal to him. He made some mistakes. One of the worst mistakes he made, in my opinion, is that in the uh, presidential personnel office were people that were really not for the president. They weren't against the president. They just not were true. They were just not true believers in the America first, you know, kind of uh, Trump uh, uh, mindset, make America great again. They were Republicans and pretty, you know, not terrible in a way. And so consequently, they didn't lead this sort of wholesale change in those jobs the president could replace, like easily replace people immediately. And so that's been slow. And that, that, that right there is a big mistake. That was a big mistake. And I'll tell you in a minute the news about that. But the second um, category is I don't think anybody realizes, and, and, and still, there are some people that have written about it, but I don't think anybody realized, maybe they do now, how entrenched the powerful bureaucracies are. I mean, how dramatically they've been able to get, uh, you know, kind of burrowed in, get jobs, stay in the positions. You know, the Cur- Lieutenant Colonel Vinman and his twin brother, these Ukrainian-born uh, longtime American military guys, they're in the Army, and they're clearly sort of uh, bureaucratic professionals. And, I, and there's some ways there's nothing wrong with that. You know, in the history of, of modern um, Western civilization, there's, there's always been this ebbing and flowing of bureaucratic classes. Um, you know, in the, in, in the, uh, in the uh, time of Justinian and then later in the, in the Byzantine Empire, there was, that's why the word Byzantine is a term that's used for sort of uh, bureaucratic. It's because they, they, they grew up various times. They grew up these massive bureaucracies. But the president has been ill-served in those two ways. One, by not getting people into the jobs he could have easily done, jobs that are just his to replace. And the second is this growth in the power of the bureaucratic class, it really is extraordinary. So now comes the news in the last couple of days, and this is specifically to Tori's question at the end of her email to me. It said, will he ever get his people in? So in the last couple of days, the story broke that Hope Hicks, you may remember Hope Hicks. She was a communications aide, um, sort of a trusted um, Trump early, early campaign um, member. She was like the fourth or fifth person hired. Um, she was a professional I think she was a professional kind of marketing person in New York. She wasn't a political person. And she was hired and she got she left and there was lots of reasons she left. I don't I forget now if it was if there was a relationship that she had or saw. I don't know, something, but um anyway, she came back. 
she, it was announced in the last day or so she's coming back as a senior counselor to the president, which means he's going to have Hope Hicks, who he relied on a lot, around. She's working officially for, I think, Jared Kushner's office. But that's, a, that's an example of that. But here's the more interesting news. It got very little attention. Uh, the president replaced the director of the Office of Presidential Personnel. And that's the job that places people into the government. And it's the job the president made a mistake as he came in, who, who he put there. But he put in there a guy named John John McAtee. McAtee? I don't even know how to pronounce his name. It's not a sort of well-known name in terms of uh, being out in the public. He's another guy who was like the seventh guy that was brought onto the campaign a- a- in New York and started working. He's a former um, college football quarterback, uh, like D2 or D3. And um, he, he went um, to work for the president, and he worked for him for years, and he left I forget also maybe under some kind of pressure. But anyway, he's being brought back, and he's being brought back to head up the Presidential Personnel Office, now PPO. That's a big deal. I mean, that's a message that the president's putting his people in charge to get his people in the building, into the jobs. And if I were to tell you one thing that says the president is really um, getting ready, you know, the the news we talked earlier about that um, McCabe has been excused uh, from at least one of the investigations, which is annoying to a lot of us and all. And they say, well, is anyone ever going to get held accountable? My answer is yes, but it's on Trump time. As I said earlier in the wink, it's on Trump time. As much as I'd like to say I can figure it all out with you and say, hey, here's what he's doing. Here's the timeline. It's hard to know. It's hard to know, but here's the thing we do know. When he's doing things like putting in John McEntee and he's doing things like getting uh, things squared away with um, with uh, his own team, I think you're feeling like you got to feel like it's going the right direction. Now, one of the things that you uh, should look for is uh, one of the things that will be interesting to see, you know, should the president win re-election, which I, totally, I do expect, is what happens to the cabinet? Because at this point, very few cabinet uh, um, heads would leave this late in the cycle. I just don't think you'd do that to the president. You wouldn't be able to confirm someone. You'd be leaving things in the lurch. So I think that's done. So they're all going to stay. But as soon as the election's over, they're going to stay through this election. I think you'll see uh, a bunch of people decide whether to leave on their own or whether they'll be pushed quietly and maybe in an unknown way by the president to leave. And and, um, and that's going to be so that's personnel. Richard Vagary is a very famous conservative. He's in his late 70s, I think, and uh, lives out in Virginia. Well-known guy, very, very powerful uh, uh, programs he's run to raise money through mail and, and, and really one of the earliest conservative organizers, Richard Vagary. Really amazing guy. And Vagary is the one who coined the phrase uh, personnel is policy. Uh, or he popularized, I don't know if he's the one who coined it, but uh, 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 personnel is policy. Who you're hiring is what's going to happen. And I think that's very, very true. And I think one of the things you should look for in the second term is of a President Trump would be who's going to be around him. By the way, if you look at Bernie Sanders, who would he bring into the White House? AOC. That's who'd be running things, right? I mean, you look around these people. Who would you get if you had a, um, uh, you know, President Sanders? Whew, uh, be pretty, um, pretty wild. But all right, that's enough on personnel. That's why I want to give you an update on that. And thank you to Tori uh, from San Diego for sending me that nice email. Sorry it took me a few days to get to it. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to explain to you. I was at the White House today. Uh, I was over to watch with my son's Marine One take off with the president. That was pretty cool to see. But it reminded me, as I watched him talk to the press as he entered Marine One, how he's changed not only our 
relationship to the media and what we rely on, but also to government. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Be right back. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Great to be with you tonight. Thank you for listening. Uh, we have, let me wrap things up today with a sort of an extended segment on uh, President Trump's ability to communicate, okay? And um, and here's the context. Uh, in the last 24 to 48 hours, we've now heard the media cover the idea that the president tweeted to interfere with uh, the prosecution of Roger Stone, for example, or anything else. But here's the here's the backdrop on this. So here's how you, here's how you have to think about it. And, and by the way, if you go to at Eagle Ed Martin, my Twitter feed, or Ed Martin Live on Facebook, if you go to edmartinlive.com, my website, um, if you do a search, you'll see I've written on this a bunch of times. The president has, from the very beginning, this president, Donald Trump, has communicated differently than anybody ever has before. He's been more responsive. Uh, he's been more interactive. And while you can say a lot of this is because social media is present, it's partly this guy's, um, this, this, this man, Donald Trump's preference. And uh, I recall, as I've said on the show before, uh, my, when I was with CNN as a contributor for a year or so back in uh, 2017, 2018, I remember going to see Jeff Zucker, who uh, is the head of CNN, who had been the head of NBC when they did The Apprentice with Donald Trump. And I asked Jeff Zucker, I said, what was Trump like? What was Donald Trump like at, um, you know, for over a decade, they did The Apprentice together. And he said he was an absolute machine. He was driven by the idea of being number one in the ratings. And when he got number one in the ratings, he didn't want to lose it. And he was concerned about the lighting and the sound and how things looked and what the people said and everything else. Just extraordinary um, intensity. Of success. Well, he did that for over a decade. So he did reality television over a decade as number one, succeeding. A lot of people try to succeed for a lot for to get to number one is hard. Then to stay there for over a decade, I think it was fourteen years. It's extraordinary. So my point here is, he learned how to communicate at the highest level with the American people, and then he started using Twitter. And so then he did the real, basically reality TV show communications of a campaign, and he used Twitter. And he's a really good writer, and he's a really witty guy. He's got a lot of sense about him. He's a great communicator. As president, he has totally reset the presidency also. He uses Twitter as call and response with his own people. He, he will change his own policies based on what he sees in social media. He's, he's sort of transforming the democratic republic that we have into a more democratic republic, a kind of social media republic. So the best example I have is at one point his own department of um, it wasn't it's not the wildlife department it's the Department of Interior maybe the, the not the National Park Service but conservation somehow announced that there would change the rules allowing more uh, big game to be brought into the United States from Africa so the big game hunters could do that and it Twitter exploded and on Twitter. Donald Trump said, yeah, we're going to stop that policy and look at it and see what we can do. That doesn't seem like it worked out right. And, and it's a small example. I know it's not exactly the same thing as tweeting at Kim Jong-un or tweeting at Iran. But my point is he uses that uh, Twitter and he's responsive. OK, so yesterday you had this interview that came out of Attorney General Barr and you needed to hear the whole interview. To, and I listened to the whole interview of Barr. He actually didn't complain about the president. He described 
that the president does not try, has never tried, to tell him what to do. He, Attorney General Barr said, the president's never pressured me and told me what to do. I wouldn't expect that. And he said, but he, and so they said, well, what about the tweets? And he said, well, the tweets are his right. And he said, you know, it, it certainly complicates things for me when I see something like that. But he wasn't really complaining. He was describing that his boss had a certain style and that's what he did. So my point here is, and, and oh, and so um, the president has gone after his opponents. He's gone after his enemies. He's praised his friends. But what he's done is transformed the, um, the uh, way we interact with our government. Now, what made me think of that, as I mentioned earlier in the program, is I went with my two sons, uh, my sons today, to the White House. And we entered the White House at about 3 o'clock, the grounds, and we were escorted through and back around. And we ended up in a, in a pen, in a kind of penned-off area on the, uh, on the, um, uh, on the uh, south lawn watching as Air Force, uh, excuse me, Marine One landed and stayed there in front of us, right, you know, 100 yards, well, 150, 200 yards away. And the president came out with Mrs. Uh, Trump and they got on the plane and the, the Air Force One and, excuse me, Marine One and flew off. Before they did that, however, on the far side of the South Lawn, the president had his gaggle of press. And I'd never seen it, obviously, from in person. If you watch on TV, you'll see sometimes the images of the president talking to the press on his way to Marine One, and it's loud, and you kind of, they're yelling questions at him, and it's kind of a funny setup. Well, in person, you can see that there's a bank of people on risers and on ladders, and they're all kind of in front of them, almost like a, um, almost like a, like a stadium seating or standing all as they see. So you don't, from where I was standing, you didn't see the president. He was on the other side of this bank of people, press, and effectively, as you, you know, if you follow this, he's eliminated the press conference. He doesn't do press conferences in the normal way. He does these gaggles like this, where he takes questions in this setting where he can kind of pick and choose and control things and get the soundbite. And of course, <clears throat> more than anything, in this case, he talks to, to the press on a Friday on his way out the door and they have to cover it. I, I haven't even seen what he talked about. I'm sure he said something good or something. But my point here is um, to tell you that he has, oh, one more, I'm looking back at my notes, one more observation. The president, by targeting and naming fake news and driving uh, the agenda that the news is out of control and is, is, is not telling the truth and is not, uh, um, you know, on the up and up, he has liberated the American people not only to search for their own news, which is true, and they do it, you know, all over places, townhall.com. Our sister site gets a lot of attention. People go to uh, sites like Breitbart.com and Drudge Report. But he also has um, created the space on social media where people can be communicators from themselves. They can be influencers of themselves. And the best example of this in the last couple of days is it's Mike Cernovich, Mike Cernovich, who's Cernovich.com, who is a lawyer by background. He's an author. He's done movies, documentary movies. But he also prides himself on being sort of an investigative citizen journalist. And it's Cernovich that did the digging and identified that the, um, the Roger Stone jury had this foreman who was totally compromised. It was Cernovich. It wasn't uh, the New York Post, it wasn't the Wall Street Journal, it wasn't the Washington Post or New York Times, it was Mike Cernovich, Cernovich.com. And the president is the one who has, um, uh, has um, made the difference in, uh, in, in changing how we perceive the media, and it's opened up the space 
for guys like Cernovich to be credible, or at least to be, um, say it there, he is credible, but to be uh, access, uh, accessible to all of us so that we can get to him. Whereas in the past, if Cernovich found the, the news that he had 20 years ago, he'd have a hard time getting an audience to see it. Now he's a, a tweet away from people seeing it. And then generally what happens to Cernovich is he says something that breaks news. Then they um, run around at the media and fact check him. And then half the time they don't attribute things to him and they, they, they report them. But some of the time they do. And, and again, back to my point, what this president has done, and among many, many things, is, is transformed the, uh, the uh, relationship of we the people to our government, more accessibility, more responsiveness from government, more accessibility to government, more responsiveness from government, and he has changed the way media works, and he's changed the way information works. And it's all very, uh, you know, I I did three, I think I did three uh, adult coloring books. That sounds funny, but if you go to uh, kofefeislove.com, you'll see them there. And when I did this, I was putting together tweets by Trump, and I called kofefe, you know, the the term for his tweets. I was trying to indicate to people the power of his Twitter feed. I meant it at the time because he just was influential. Now, I would say it's been transformative. It's changed the way we relate to the democracy in which we live. It really has. And I guess my um, my besides describing that to you and saying how extraordinary it is and how historic it is, my encouragement to people is we the people have to use the media, use the social media, use the access uh, we have to demand uh, changes. And one of the places I think you're going to see that is in the next few weeks, the clamoring on social media for Roger Stone and Mike Flynn to be pardoned is going to lead the president to timing-wise to do what I think he would have done anyway, which is pardon those guys. All right, I better run. I'm going to run out of time. Uh, thank you, as always, to our technical director, Noah. Uh, Randy, our, uh, our GM, I guess he is, or our head technical guy, is filling in and helping today, as well as Joanna, our producer. We will be back on Monday. Actually, Monday will be a best of since it's uh, President's Day. We'll be back Tuesday together. Have a great weekend, everybody. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego.